like father, like son. You know those chocolate advent calendars, the ones behind the door? There's a, a little door, the window, there's a little piece of chocolate, not so good chocolate. Um, growing up, I really hated, I hated, I couldn't stand to wait a whole day for the next piece of chocolate. So if it was December 21st, for example, the chocolate behind door number two was probably gone, and there were probably some nibbles out of the chocolate on door 23. Our son is following in my footsteps, like father, like son. He's actually created these elaborate schemes that he shares with me that sort of bend the time-space continuum. (laughs) And he assures me when I question him, today is actually December 22nd, he says. It is. It really is. And that's why the chocolate is gone. Waiting can be so hard. Waiting can be so hard. And yet, waiting, waiting is a central part of our lives. Author John Buchanan says it like this. He says, we wait to be old enough to go to school, many of us, to ride a bicycle, if we're able to ride a bicycle, to drive a car. We wait to land a job or to find the right person. We wait for a promotion, a raise. We wait for retirement. I would add, we wait for justice. We wait for our voices to be heard. We wait for our tears and anger and grief to be seen. Sometimes we wait for a blessing, a sign. Sometimes we wait in uncertainty for the news, news from a loved one, news from our own biopsy, news that will determine which direction the future unfolds. Waiting Waiting, as Buchanan says, is a universal and deeply human experience. In this time of Advent and Hanukkah and the winter solstice, we are in a season of waiting. A mother awaits the birth of a child, the birth of hope, the birth of something new and redeeming in our lives and in the world. Many of our Jewish friends wait for the light to grow bright on the menorah as it shines brightly into the darkness. Many of us here, we wait for the days to lengthen, for the warmth and the light of the sun to return. We are in a season of waiting, and the invitation is to slow down, to sit with that waiting, to not rush it, to not move on before it's time. That's the invitation. But friends, if your life is anything like mine, You are probably cruising down the highway at 65 miles an hour, brushing your teeth. If you're not in a car, if you're somewhere else, you're calling someone on the phone at the same time you're pulling something out of the oven at the same time you're trying to be two or three places at once. And maybe you're doing all of those things and you're holding the additional stress of scrambling to make ends meet, wondering if there will be a Christmas this year. Maybe it's all of those things, and on top of that, in this season, it's the grief that has settled into your guest room or curled up at the foot of your bed, and you cannot shake the tears as you move through this season without a loved one. The other truth is, of course, that some of you are not rushing around this season. Some of you have time to sit and to be and to take in the news, to scan the headlines, to look around the world and whatever good is going on in the world. Well, what you're telling me is that it seems to be dwarfed by the terrible, 
News that torture has essentially been legitimized by our government. News of two New York police officers killed in their cars. News that breaks our hearts. What I want you to know this morning, friends, is that the grief and uncertainty, the darkness of this season, the questions it lifts up, they are not so very different from 2,000 years ago when a tired and weary pregnant couple entered Bethlehem alone, perhaps frightened, asking these same questions, seeking shelter in the city that was under control of the Roman Empire. Then, as now, the question was, what are we to do? How are we to be in a world such as this? What are we to do? So I want you to know this morning, I want all of you to know this morning, whatever your particular life carries in this space, in this season of waiting, of darkness, the work in front of us is the same, and it is shared work. Our work this season, as we approach Christmas Day, as the days slowly begin to lengthen, our work this season is to travel into the darkness, into the unknown, remembering, as Ruth said last Sunday, that we are light. To travel into that darkness, trusting that in the encounter with our uncertainty, with our hopelessness, something redeeming and beautiful and life-giving will emerge. But we cannot rush that process. The invitation of the season is not to avoid the darkness, but rather to rest in it, to wait there, to go slowly, to stay awake to new possibilities in the face of the impossible, to listen for the cry of a newborn child, to watch for a star in the night sky. In this season, then, we practice surrendering, slowing down, resting in darkness. The Interfaith Black Lives Matter vigil we held here last Thursday followed that arc. We rested in hopelessness before we caught the thread of new hope. In our annual solstice service we held here on Friday, we sat together in silence and darkness for 12 minutes before we lifted our voices in song and welcomed the returning of the light. Whether it's Hanukkah or Advent or winter solstice, those rituals hold unnamed power in our lives. And our work is to surrender to the power of the ritual, to relinquish control, to submit, to wait without answers or solutions, to wait without knowing the exact way forward. Only then do we arrive at a deeper, more authentic hope. Only then does the innkeeper say, there is room here. It's not perfect, but there is room here. This is what it means, I think, to be and to do slow church. To try to live slow church. It is to remain faithful to the power and the possibility of a transforming love and light that is alive and at work in the world. To remain faithful to that sense that that love is alive even when we feel it is not present. It is to believe that the dying ember we see in the ashes might reignite in a blazing fire of hope. 
What I know in my own body as we enter this season, what I know for many of you is that slow church and this season of waiting, of being still and quieting, they are extraordinarily countercultural. In a culture of now, in a culture of quick fixes and glossy solutions, in a culture filled with weapons of mass distraction, where instant gratification is the God we often worship, there is something holy about slowing down, about noticing what is happening within you and around you, about letting go of our attachment to efficiency and particular outcomes. Christopher Smith and John Pattison, authors of the book Slow Church, say that spiritual formation, which is what we are doing here Sunday after Sunday and during the week, forming our spirits, they say spiritual formation is not about efficiency. Rather, it's waiting. It's mountains and valleys and darkness and light. It's not about It's not being able to see the nose and right there on our own faces and then suddenly things open up into a beautiful, magnificent vista. It's sometimes hard. Spiritual formation is not efficient. You're more likely to go three miles an hour, they say, than 70. You may feel that you're alone, but you're not. The spiritual formation that comes from resting and waiting in the darkness of this season is not about efficiency. It is not about racing to the end, to the light. It is about slowing and noticing and breathing. And it's not just this season that that lesson can apply. It's every season, this season in particular. And so this hour, this time together, this church is the place to do it. As Christopher Smith and John Pattison write, slow church is a call for intentionality and awareness of our mutual interdependence with all people and all of creation. Lena K. Gardner said this so well at our Black Lives Matter vigil last Thursday, speaking to this mutual interdependence and noticing that. She said, we're not strong because we don't need anyone. We're strong because we need everyone. Slow church is an attentiveness to the world around us, the people around us, and the work that love is calling us to. In the context of slow church, the Black Lives Matter vigil we held last Thursday was two years in the making. For two years now, as a congregation, we have been learning and reflecting and talking about race and racism and whiteness and how our faith calls us to racial justice. And I know that over the last two years, many of you have asked me, where are we going with this? When are we going to do something? What's, what, what's the point of this? And I have had those questions myself. On the surface, it looked like nothing was happening. Nothing was moving. But in the background, underneath, as we learned and talked about racial justice with one another, as we built relationships with others in this community and alliances and partnerships, much was starting to move. It was two years' worth of faithful waiting, faithful waiting and working, building a relationship with Shertikva and Above Every Name Ministries and so many others that allowed us to even consider holding a vigil here last Thursday. It was two years in the making, and judged by a market economy that looks quarter to quarter, 
it was inefficient work. But in the long view, the slow church view, it was intentional and relational and deeply faithful to our mission. We're doing the same thing in our partnership with Habitat for Humanity. We moved slowly. We built a relationship. We began to understand the impact that Habitat was having in these neighborhoods in North Minneapolis. And then out of that relationship, a dream and a vision, an audacious goal of building a house, raising $60,000, took shape. We're doing the same thing in our Augsburg partnership with Augsburg Fairview Academy. We listened to the students. We built relationships with the students. We said, you tell us how we can serve you. We responded to their needs and initiatives, not as efficient as it could be, but deeply faithful, deeply faithful. And it's the work we're doing right now, church. I want to tell you the work we're doing right now is that intentional relational, faithful work. In this season of waiting for hope, I want to point this out to you, what we are doing together. We are slowly and intentionally building the beloved community here, a community that has male and female, transgender and genderqueer, a community that has people of all sexual orientations and cultures and classes and races, a community of old and young, a community of diverse world experiences. This is the faith community we are slowly building, relationship by relationship, where all are worthy of love, where we're not strong because we need no one. We're strong because we know we need everyone as we grow together. This is a different church than it was five years ago. We are trying to be a slow church in a fast culture. We are trying to be clear and intentional and relational, grounded in our community here in South Minneapolis. The purpose of church and the purpose of this season is to find hope in a time of darkness, a time of what feels like hopelessness. Sometimes that means waiting and waiting and feeling like nothing is changing. It's terrifying and lonely in that place, even as a mother prepares to give birth to a child, even as the star begins to appear in the sky. And then out of that loneliness, out of that uncertainty, out of the darkness, we hear a light. Out of the wilderness, we hear a voice crying, make way for hope, make way for love, prepare the way for love is born again. So friends, in the waiting, let us not open the door on that calendar too quickly before it's time. Let us not rush for the easy answer or the most efficient response. Let us trust the darkness and the stillness. Let us trust that we are among faithful people here that can and will hold us until the light returns and the doors of hope are thrown open once again. Let us trust we are among people that can hold us until the doors of hope are thrown open once again. Merry Christmas. I love you. Blessings in this season. Amen.